Well, we're going to do something bold in this episode. I'm going to make 10 predictions where youth ministry will be in the next 10 years. So by the year 2030, I'm also going to give five pieces of advice to you youth ministry leaders to lead you into the future of youth ministry as we know it. I can't wait to get to it. I'm Jeff Eckert. I'm Jason Brewer. And this is The Thought Factory. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, cultivating students through biblical discipleship and spiritual disciplines using theology, community, and technology. Learn more at neverthesame.org. an interesting episode last round. Jason, we talked about this piece of paper I found and it had some predictions on it. It was very fascinating to see this piece of paper that you brought out from moving one office into another office and you're just going through a bunch of papers and and it being the year 2020 at the time, you looked at what your prediction was for the year 2020 from the point of view in the year 2010. And it was fascinating. We talked not only that We didn't just look at the year 2020, but also the year 2000 and what youth ministry was in that year. And it was an interesting conversation just to see where we've been, where we are currently. And this episode, we're looking at where we are going in the next 10 years. I decided in discovering that piece of paper, which we get into in the last episode, I want to encourage you to to listen to that. It's really crazy some of the things I thought might happen in 2020 and what actually happened and you need to just find out for yourself but I thought well it was maybe more than happenstance that I found that seminar that I did in 2010 which is what my notes for this piece of paper we're talking about so why not do it again so what I'm going to do today is give 10 specific predictions about where youth ministry and youth culture is going in the next 10 years between now and the year 2030. You may want to write these down because in 10 years when you are having a conversation with Jeff, whenever you see him, I'm sure uh, it's one of your goals in life is to maybe have a conversation with Jeff Eckert um, that you can say, hey, you remember what you did 10 years ago and and here are the predictions and then you're able to look at it. And I'll say, I don't even know what you're talking about. What are about. you talking about? Because this funny is I don't even remember. I mean, I remember doing the seminar in 2010 when I made those predictions, but I totally forgot I did it and forgot I had the notes. So it was kind of cool finding it in 2020. And so that's what we're going to do today is look ahead. Right, right. And that is what we are doing today. We are going to walk through the predictions and Jeff, you had written out a number of them already, and I am not bringing anything to the table. I did not write out my predictions of what the church and what youth ministry would kind of look like in the next 10 years. And not not in the next, like as we progress to 2030, but I think by 2030, this is what youth ministry will look like. This is what the church will look like and operate like. And so you are more of the person who has the prophetic ways so that's why we drew straws and i lost no oh boy so you're you're just taking yourself off the hook yeah basically, <laughs> yeah, may I, basically i cannot be held accountable for anything that's being said or written about this 
And when we wrap up too, I want to give five very specific things that I think every one of you leading and involved in youth ministry need to be thinking about and doing. So I want to mention that as well. Um, And our next episode, Jason, is going to be fun. We're going to talk about students and conspiracy theories. I say that 2020 is a year that everybody became a conspiracy theorist, but it's definitely affecting students and, and even their not just interactions with the world, but their theology and their interaction with faith. So we're going to be talking about that. That term conspiracy theory is being thrown around a lot, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, whatever it is in your mind, how you perceive a conspiracy theory. We wanted to talk about not necessarily specific conspiracy theories, but how this prevalence of conspiracy theories is affecting the faith of students and their development and their transformation. And we wanted to just discuss what are some of the aspects of conspiracy theories that we may even look at and say, is that true? And then how does that apply to what we're trying to get students to understand and believe in? And that's the life of Jesus Christ and to place their faith and trust in him as their savior. And the, the topic kind of came up because we have kind of noticed that if you start to question some things that can bleed into a lot of other areas and faith is not immune to this. And, and does Christianity all of a sudden get placed in the, the category of it's just a conspiracy theory. Right. And so we just wanted to, discuss that in the next couple of episodes as always we are grateful for you to listen to this podcast and if you have not done so already please hit that subscribe button it helps us out it allows you to stay in touch with us and always get the most up-to-date episode and we have something for you if you go to neverthesame.org slash trend report you can download this beautiful copy of some research that we do every year annually with thousands of students around the country. It's called the Adolescence in the Church Trend Report. So it's available at neverthesame.org slash trend report. And in that, you will find some great and helpful information to help you understand what students are really thinking and saying and believing and how they live. So we want to make that available to you as well. So let's dive into this twenty thirty and beyond prediction yeah let me let me make just a, a totally off comment prediction that that i think is going to happen and my my daughter said this to me recently they said uh dad in the 90s things were like super bright and colorful and in terms of like clothes and just overall like everything i thought about I'm like cars and clothes and culture was so much more bold and colorful in the 90s and what started to happen is you hit grunge and then now everything is so monochromatic you know like what people wear is a lot of blacks a lot of dull dark colors even if you look at just go out when you're driving and look at cars you don't see for me bright colored cars and i'm just going to say it right now and maybe this is just a natural cycle of things but i think by the year 2030 we're going to see Uh, a lot more boldness and color in our world when it comes to like clothes, fashion, cars. I mean, because I think things are really boring right now, honestly. Well, the 80s is coming around, so that's... It is. So the neon, but, you know, is that going to make another cycle? Yeah, maybe neon, but I just, I don't know, just something off, you know, I've been thinking about off the top of my head. I think there's going to be 
something happened there. Uh, let me say this, though, on a more serious note as we get into this list, that I think right now, as we record this, Jason, in 2021, at the beginning of this year, and beginning of as we're going into this new decade, that we're going to see, in my opinion, the greatest regression or progression of faith in our lifetimes. And I think what we do in 21 and 22 will impact faith for the next 30 years. I'm talking about between now and 2050. I really believe that. I think that how we respond right now as Christians, as believers, and specifically as people influencing and leading the next generation, that what we do, the specific ways that we respond to what we have been through, particularly in 2020 and what we're still going through now, I think this is a crisis moment that could be our greatest opportunity or our greatest failure. And I really believe this is such a pivotal moment historically for the church around the world, but specifically we're speaking here as Americans. It's pretty much the perspective of do you see what's happening right now as an obstacle or do you see it as an opportunity for uh, growth and opportunity for more students to know the gospel? And if you were to go down the road of opportunity, that is probably what you're referring to as progression in faith versus seeing it as an obstacle and kind of dying to that obstacle and saying, it's over, it's over. We can't really do what we're used to doing. The normal is gone and that would cause a regression. And a lot of leaders I know, I'm hearing reports all over the country of, of youth ministry professionals, leaders, volunteers, that are falling by the wayside right now. There's a lot of mental um, anxiety. There's a lot of stress on people. These are just crazy times. And if you're, if you're, if you feel like you're wavering or you're struggling, let me just encourage you. Hear what we have to say today and hang on because these are really moments of great opportunity. I'm speaking to someone who went through a lot myself, and I know we did as an organization. Um, in dealing with all the changes that we're experiencing. But I think this will be the revival of faith generation or the survival generation. What I mean by that is we're going to experience, I think, and I believe this as a just as a natural optimist, but I'm really hoping and praying and believing that we're going to, this generation of young people will lead us into revival or it will we'll go into survival mode as, as a church and as a people. The church will always survive. The remnant will always be there. But... I think it's up to us, a lot of us listening to this as um, people influencing students. And you may think, well, I don't have a podcast or I don't have a national voice like you guys do or I don't um, influence a lot of people. It's those local grassroots influencers that really are going to make, make or break what we're going to see here happen. It's having the mindset of growth and seeing regardless that I am willing to go out and and see more uh, for the kingdom or hunker down and say, it's just me and my household and that's, I got to protect this and protect this only and I'm going to only cater to those who are here right now and around me and you're just surviving and just trying to do what you can versus let's invest in trying to grow and revive and bring a new spirit yep all right let's get into some 10 bold predictions these are coming from me just for the record jason is i have absolutely nothing 
in this say? <laughs> Here we go. Number one, I believe that in 2030 there will be what I call a remnant church that's practicing what I would call underground faith. I think that what we're seeing right now is we're seeing a divide in our culture. I think that's been happening. I think it will continue to happen. And this remnant church that, that I believe is coming is a much smaller group of people practicing faith in their local community expressions. And I'm talking about primarily through local churches, but I know there's lots of different expressions, and I kind of laugh because American Christianity are always wanting to come up with new thoughts and ideas like microchurch and things like that. But I am talking about churches that are going to dig in on their traditional biblical values. I think that's what I'm calling the remnant church that is that is rising up. And, I, and I'm not talking about people that are in your face about it. And I'm going to use an example of a guy like John MacArthur, if you know who that is. Not, not a person that says, hey, we're going to do this and making a, a big, bold statement necessarily. But these are churches and people and leaders that are that are almost forced to go underground with their faith and these are churches i believe that remnant churches that really are standing strong and taking maybe quiet but very bold steps to to really reinforce their traditional biblical values will will grow and thrive in this coming decade i believe that's happening number two i believe that can Concerning youth ministries, I think we're going to see smaller numbers in our constituencies, in our groups. I think that and that may sound like a negative thing, and it might be, but I, again, I think this is a time where uh, we're being tested as uh, youth workers. And, um, you know, we've always put pride and a lot of effort into reaching a big numbers, those of us that are used to, you know, leading ministries. And, and that's not a bad thing. I think sometimes we've we've kind of thrown the baby out with the bathwater there and go, well, we shouldn't just be chasing after numbers. Numbers do matter. I just see, Jason, smaller numbers when it comes to our youth ministry gatherings. We're, I think we're seeing that now, and I think we're going to continue to see that in the next 10 years. Number three, I believe that attractional ministry will make a comeback. Now, we have seen what I would call the heyday, the glory day, um, so to speak, of attractional youth ministry models, which were, I would say, in the 90s going into the early 2000s. And then within the last 10, 15 years, we've seen a decline and a drop-off into what I would call attractional youth ministry models, meaning we're holding a big gathering at our church or youth center or wherever it might be, and students are, you know, are being drawn into the centralized physical space where um, that's kind of the hub of youth ministry and their philosophy and, and everything they're doing. And what we've seen recently is a drop off in that. And so there's been other models that have risen to the surface that already existed, but things like home groups, um, you know, the house church model has made its way into a lot of youth ministry models where they're either doing a hybrid, where they're doing a, a larger attractional gathering maybe every other week, and then they're doing a house group, small group model off-site or, or not having a, a central gathering but meeting in groups. Some are gone fully into that model where they're just decentralized or some are doing a hybrid with both. I personally see 
that by 2030, I think attractional youth ministry is going to be on the rise and making a comeback. Number four, I think simple church will be f- much more pervasive in youth ministries and youth groups. And what I mean by that is the simple church model of of being pretty straightforward. And I would, I would even, in the simplest form, I would say worship in the word. So gatherings will be uh, less filled with, you know, a lot of bells and whistles. Um, I think in terms of what the gatherings look like, I think it's going to be a lot more basic and stripped down. And one of the ways I would say it, and I've been talking with our team here about this at Never the Same, is are we training or entertaining our students in our ministries? When we're getting them together, what's our what's our thought to that, our thought process even subconsciously are we trying to entertain them and make them feel you know like it's super fun to be there is that kind of our goal or is it to really train them and i believe that a more of a training mentality will be the prevailing uh edge of what youth ministry will look like in 2030 that there will be this simple church approach and I want, I want to be specific here. I think that youth ministries will start doing things like teaching through the Bible and being much more um, focused on their scope and sequence. I think things like catechism, it might be named differently. But I think those things will, will come more to the forefront in this simple church youth group model. I think training is going to increase because of the need to not just present the faith and how the model that we use right now where it's a, an adult kind of presenting to the the audience of students in regards to some sort of truth in the bible and how it applies to their life and versus giving them actual handles to be able to interact with their friends and their classmates and their family whoever it may be to be able to legitimately share their faith, legitimately live out their faith, legitimately be trained into operating as a Christian in a world that is completely against Christianity. Number five is I believe my prediction is that this generations of students between now and 2030 is what I'm calling the revival generation. We mentioned it earlier. This is going to be a time of revival or survival, but I really believe, I think something's coming. I think that that 2020 forced so much introspection in our culture, and I think students are poised. They're obviously cause-oriented already, but I think the need is there. I think if you look at the cycles of the church in the past, you know, there's that saying, past is prologue, and I think what we see in the past is we see these times of great renewal. I think these students will be the ones to bring uh, revival. What does that look like? What does revival mean? I think it means this awakening of people to faith. I think that we're going to see the percentages grow of people that come to faith. Now, here's a dirty little secret in, in youth ministry. Uh, dirty little secret is that we always use a number. It's, it's usually 85, sometimes it's more, but 85% of people that receive Christ during their lifetimes do so before age 18 or typically before they graduate high school. But within that 85% percentage, the dirty little secret is it's much, much higher 
in the younger ages. So it used to be more people came to Christ in middle and high school, but now that percentage is higher in elementary age. So people that are coming to faith more and more are making that decision at a younger age. And so it's it's much more tipped on the scales towards elementary than it is our typical youth ministry ages. And so I think that percentage is going to bump back into the adolescent years. At least I hope it will. Those are the first five. Let's do the next five. And then, Jason, we're going to talk about some specific things that we're talking to youth ministry leaders about doing leading in the future. Number six, there's going to be much more campus-based youth ministry expressions. I think that'll come from the local church. I think it's also, there's, what I'm seeing right now is there's this new wineskin of campus ministry that I see happening. A lot of that is very organic. It's grassroots. A lot of it doesn't have logos or organizations behind it. It's things that I'm seeing, hearing, and feeling that are happening right now. And again, I think that youth ministries that don't have some kind of campus expression in their philosophy or in their practice are going to get left behind because I think less and less students are coming to our churches and youth ministries. So we've got to go to where they are. Number seven, bivocational ministry will be much, much more prevalent in youth ministry. Youth pastors that are bivocational, that's been on the rise for a while. I think that's going to continue to increase. And I think that youth ministries now that have full-time youth pastors, I think will be cut in half in the next 10 years. I think less and less churches will be hiring, and there'll be much more uh, vocational. And I believe that with that, we're going to continue to see what I've been calling this crisis of leadership in pastors. Jason, we've talked about this, but there's less and less of a pool to draw from. When we when we get asked all the time individually and as a ministry, hey, give us some youth pastors out there. And 20 years ago, I could give you a huge list. 10 years ago, I could give you a pretty good list. Five years ago, okay, let's now, when I think about all the youth pastors that we know out there that list is getting shorter it's kind of a sad situation especially for those that we know because they're probably listening going i wonder if i'm on jeff's list i didn't say good i just (laughs) said youth pastors we know i mean there's yeah a lot of great (laughs) there is a lot of great youth pastors that we 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 do know but yeah we we get asked often from churches as turnover is high and one person moves on to another position or another church and the church is in a relationship with us and saying, Hey, what are some names that we could, uh, you know, seek out? And yeah, that list, it still has names on it, you know, but it just seems to be getting shorter and shorter. It's less likely to come to mind of like, Oh, so-and-so is available or this role would be really good for so-and-so. And, and there's multiple factors to that, but yeah. yeah, it's harder to find solid youth pastors. And churches just are looking, they're looking and they're not, and there's not a lot of people available. And so and a lot of youth pastors, they're already in a role. So to disrupt them, we're even talking about the younger uh, in college that are interested in youth ministry, the post-grad that may be interning just seems like the number is less and less. 
And I'll give you an example. I think on this one, Jason, what we're going through right now with COVID and what that's done to society, but I'm going to talk about the church, will be a defining moment for vocational youth ministry. And here's, I'll tell you another one that happened, and that was in between 2008 and 2010 when we had the Great Recession. We had the Great Recession. What happened was I noticed it anecdotally, and I have a, some data to back it up from one particular denomination. But I saw less and less churches hiring, or they, the first staff people to go were people in next-gen ministry, particularly youth ministry. And I saw that more and more, and then they never rehired. Once that recession was over and you know their giving went back up, a lot of those churches didn't rehire. Now, example of that is the denomination I know. In 2008, they had 2,200 youth pastors full-time. Wait, hold on. The denomination or the church? The denomination. Okay. A certain denomination. <laughs> they had 2,200 full-time youth pastors in 2008. In 2010, at the end of their, that period of recession, they had 800 full-time youth pastors. And in the year 2020, they had that same amount, 800. So what happened there, I think, was is indicative of of what's happened in general with churches and, and vocational youth ministry is they went from 2,200 to 800 within a two-year period, and then they never bounced back up. They never, not not just didn't get back to the 2,200, but they didn't grow at all. And I think what's going to happen now between people dropping out due to anxiety or budget cuts um, due to COVID and all the changes we're seeing, I think churches, we're going to see another bump down in the number of vocational uh, youth ministry people that we see out there. Therefore, I think that's what happened now in COVID is it's going to accelerate this trend towards more. If churches are hiring, they're going to be much, much more in the bivocational area. Or the multiple youth pastors at the same place. It might be you had a handful or a couple, and now it's more one who's splitting ages or they are full-time but they are now between you know kindergarten all the way through high school or or something like that where it's not even bivocational where they work at the church part-time and another job outside the church but it's it's their time has now split between ages because there's less people to to do those roles yeah number eight my prediction by 2030 is half the churches now that have any form of youth ministry won't. So there's some churches that don't have any youth ministry expression, but I predict in the next 10 years that of the churches that have youth ministry now in 2021 won't have them in 2030. And there's different reasons for that, but I I think that churches have kind of lost sight, and I think some of them are in a downward spiral where they've, already not been reaching the next generation and so it's really hard to get out of that downward spiral and so i think we're going to see more and more churches drop um not intentionally i think some some reluctantly they're just going to see their youth ministries go away when the students don't show up and you're making decisions it's it's different than children's ministry where the parent is bringing the children into the house of worship Students typically are, they're in the, the world of they can make that decision, they can drive, they can choose to be driven to your church and, and be a part of the youth ministry. But if, if that's less and less and there's less students and in the room of making decisions is like, 
we're going to, we're going to cut the youth ministry altogether because there's just not any numbers to, su- to support it. Number nine, students' biblical worldview will weaken. Now, this isn't maybe a, a as bold a prediction. I think a lot of us are feeling this and sensing this. I think that's been the trend for a while, but I think the biblical worldview, when you compare... Uh, the assault that um, culture's really taken on traditional biblical values. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying that out of spite or resentment or, uh, you know... Pessimism. Yeah, pessimism. I'm saying that uh, one, of the, one of the viewpoints that has really helped me with this is uh, a mentor of ours, Dave, he shared with our staff and... Uh, few months ago about this idea of being the home team and I think in our speaking of American culture and and how Christianity has kind of interacted with American general culture we've had the we've had the the privilege I guess or the the landscape of being quote-unquote the home team in other words if you think about being a home team like in high school sports when you're the home team the refs are favorably you know generally more favorably on your side with the calls you tend to get the calls if they're controversial the fans are on your side you got more fans and you just have a more positive encouraging environment when you're the home team as opposed to when you're the away team i think dave's point is we've enjoyed that for pretty much the majority of all of our nation's history in america but we've we're losing that and i think we will have definitely lost that by 2030 now, we can whine and complain about that, but I'm not in that camp. I'm saying it's just a reality. Jesus never promised that we'd be the home team. In fact, he promised the opposite. And in those times when Christianity has is being opposed, even the stronger it's being opposed, the more it can flourish. I think that idea of being the home team versus the away team is important to understand and keep in mind as we think about our influence as the church and it's not saying hey give up like you still have to show up and play the game but we can gripe and complain about man we just aren't being received very well and it seems like the culture is all against us well it's shifting from a home team encouraging your the moment you step into that that arena you get cheers and people love you regardless just because of the jersey you're wearing now, if you shift that mindset to an away team and the moment you step in, there's booze and criticisms and attacks. And yet it, it does affect the away team, but the away team still has a chance because you're still playing the game. Yeah. And so it, it's helpful to think as a, as youth ministry to be like, yes, there is opposition and it's greater than what I'm used to but I'm still going to go and and fight for that win. Yeah. Last prediction, number 10 here, is that the primary age to reach our population in there and to capture them in faith will be elementary age. Now, here's the deal. I, I, I've seen this trend over the last 30 years that, that 30 years ago and, and even you know in the 25 years ago range, I, I believe the most receptive audience to faith was young adults. And then I saw over the years that trend down towards high school. And then I, I've seen that in the last 10 years trend down towards middle school. And I've said this to many leaders. 
publicly, privately, that middle schoolers are the most pivotal segment of our population as churches that we need to be focused on because that's where faith is pivoting. That's where we've needed to capture them. And I think that's still true, but I think what's coming, I think that trend will continue that we need to be reaching young people in those elementary, and I'm talking about first through fourth grade. That's why I think in youth ministry, we need to be thinking outside of ourselves here and going, what can we do to really connect and partner with um, the entire ministry to next gen and that involves kids as well. All right, those are my 10 bold predictions. Wonder what you think about that. Now, after the break, we're gonna get into five specific things that you can do to build the roadmap to the future when it comes to youth ministry. All right, we're going to get into these five specific things that I want to encourage you to do to lead your youth ministry into this future. Number one is this, double down on next gen in your budgets. Now, for those of you listening that are in some kind of youth ministry role, you may not have this decision in your hands, but you need to be a huge advocate And you need to make the case in your church to go before them and say, if we're going to thrive into the future, not just the general church, but speak on their local level, to get them to invest their resources and dollars and time and attention into next gen. So I'm saying to churches right now, and I have been saying this, but COVID has just made this, to me, explode in importance, is that you need to double down on your budgets. I know churches are saying, well, you know, we can't really hire staff right now or we can't really invest in anything or we can't really... And everybody's in reactive mode, but we've got to go into proactive mode and be offensive in the way that we're thinking, not in offending people, but offensive like not defensive. So we need to be offensive-minded and say, what can we do to reach this generation? And one of the ways we do it very and most specifically is in your budgets, hire for growth, don't hire for where you are, hire for growth. Even thinking about what you're going to be able to spend that money on. Sometimes we can think there's a budget available, so I'm just gonna use it for the regular weekly programmatic reasons, and it just starts to dwindle, and then you find at the end of the year that, oh, I only have a few hundred bucks left, or I don't have any money left, or I have a lot left. But what are some of the intentional things to think about with your budget to spend that money on to go what is going to grow this ministry what do i need to spend my investment on so that there is a return on that investment and and let me be specific to give you some ammunition for this is if you haven't read this book there's a book called growing young which is a great book put out by uh, fuller youth institute and that book really i think gives some tangible data for you to go to the powers that be and say We've got to invest in next gen because here's the here's the reality. I think we know this natural in youth ministry, but a lot of people aren't thinking the way that we do is if you're gonna lose the next generation numerically right now, your church will be dead in twenty years. So doubling down on, on your budget is a great way to be thinking proactively towards the future. If you want to hear more about growing young, we do have a podcast where we interviewed the author, one of the authors, Kara Powell, on episode three oh four. So if you want to even 
start getting a, a brief synopsis of that book before investing in that book, check out episode 304, Help Young People Love the Church. All right, here's the second thing I think you need to do is go full-on driving instructor mode with your youth ministry. There's two mentalities of youth ministry here. There's what I would call the driving instructor mentality and the chauffeur in mentality. And when it comes to how we run our youth ministries, Youth ministries that are chauffeur-driven are ones where adults are up front, adults are in charge, adults are driving the ideas and the content and the direction, and they're pretty much leading everything, and the students are just kind of showing up and receiving. And then the driving instructor mode is more of an idea that that our job as youth leaders is to sit in the pasture seat, allow and teach the students to drive, and we're guiding them along the way. And I will say this right now, youth ministries already that are chauffeur-driven youth ministries, so to speak, in their mentality, are dying and declining. There's no life there. There's no numbers there. There's no energy. Even spiritual growth, I think, is attached to that because students are, they can go anywhere to, to show up and be entertained. I mean, they can just sit in their phone at home. Why go anywhere? But if they're engaged, if they're involved, if they're leading it, if they're leading worship, if they're bringing the ideas to the table, if they're actually involved in things that are significant and matter, that's a driving instructor mentality. And I think that youth ministries that are not in full-on driving instructor mentality mode will cease to exist in 10 years. This also falls under the category of training, giving them opportunities to lead worship, opportunities to lead aspects of the ministry that you use to put on a program or welcoming or whatever it is, hospitality. Uh, there are a number of ways that students can lead, even in the small group setting, where you are training them to express their faith certain ways. Because we have students that are interested in so many different things, and one person may be very vocal about their faith, another person may not, and may feel more comfortable in a different setting. Are you allowing your space to have multiple opportunities for a variety of students that that express their faith differently. Number three, go campus ministry mode. And what's happening more and more that we've seen is students less and less are coming to our youth ministries. They're less and less coming to our churches and to our youth gatherings and our youth centers. And what we need to be doing is going to where they are. We've talked about this over and over on this podcast and in our ministries, but 98% of our population is on a school campus when it talks about student life around the, in the United States. That's where they are. Even with the growth of homeschooling, as schools are still gathering, and this is starting to come back now from COVID as we record this, but I just believe that if you don't have the campus as a focus in your philosophy and in your uh, application and your operation of your youth ministry, you're not going to survive so you've somehow got to be connected to a campus ministry or you've somehow got to be involved in something unique that you're doing. Of course, here at Never the Same, we have something called Claim Your Campus. It's not really a ministry, an organization. It's a movement, and it's student-led prayer where students meet once a week at their school to pray. But even an engagement, something like that, or FCA, Youth for Christ, there's lots of different expressions out there, but other ways that, that you can be involved, but get involved in your local campus. Number four, don't compromise on scripture. Think going into the future, 
we're going to be more and more tempted to compromise on our stance, our teaching, our view, and how much we are involving and engaging Scripture in our ministries with our students. One of the ways you can do this is think about how much Bible do you have involved in your ministry? Are you encouraging and providing resources and support for students to be reading the Bible, not just spoon-feeding it to them once a week, but actually getting them involved and engaged. And don't back off on those difficult passages. Don't back off on those difficult topics. And don't compromise on the importance and the centrality of Scripture to our ministries. That will be the remnant church when we stick to Scripture and we continue to preach the Word and not hold back of what the truth says in in God's word. And I think as churches are even striving to get more people in, may start to release that from their their program in a sense of and may be more general or maybe more accommodating to the culture. And if you stick to the scriptures and the truth of what it says that church will be more of the remnant church last thing and this is maybe the most important and i hope you hear this one is number five is take risks i think that one of the things that's going to separate us as leaders and set us apart for god to use in great ways is the amount of risk that we're willing to take this risk can look different ways i think making bold financial investment risks in the next generation. We've talked about that, but I think that's important. I think, Jason, that when it comes to taking risks in terms of saying things that might be controversial, not to do it to be controversial, but knowing that it will be, but not backing down and wanting to preserve our personal or corporate or ministry reputation for standing up for things that are right. I think taking risk is, to me, what separates good from great leaders and good from great ministries is are they willing to take risks and Helen Keller has a great quote about risks and she says this Helen Keller said security is mostly superstition it did not exist in nature nor do the children of men experience it avoiding the danger is no safer in the long run than outright exposure Life is either a daring adventure or nothing. And that's so powerful to think about that security is superstition. We've realized, if we've realized anything in 2020 is that there is no security. And there, there is a superstition. There is a, I think there's an idol in our camp and that idol is safety. You know, every, we risk, we've risked everything for safety and we've compromised and lost so much. Now, should we try to be safe? Of course we should, but are we going to allow that to take away any opportunity for advancement or growth or bold faith? We've got to think about that balance during these days. In Hebrews 11:6, Scripture says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And we've got to have faith during these days. Let me say to you that risk, risk is so important that you need to venture out and to not play it safe right now. Your life, your ministry, the opportunities, 
they're too short you've got to go for it and be a risk taker if there's anything i say to leaders um, that resounds within me over and over is the the risk that you take will determine the influence that you have so don't be afraid in in this season that we're that hopefully maybe is coming to an end with all the shutdowns and lockdowns and changes and we're definitely going into a new future be a risk taker the thought factory podcast is brought to you by never the same whose vision is to see new generations transformed in christ to further the kingdom of god learn more at neverthesame.org